says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, Ray, I want to thank you for that very... I'm not sure I've earned to be... uh confused for randy but i'll take it uh i'll take it any day of the week but since i'm randy i don't mind sharing with you a pretty embarrassing story about myself (laughs) some mistakes uh you make only one time several years ago kana and i had left a wedding it was a warm summer night it was a beautiful wedding and i'm we're on the way back and i had to get out and pump some gas and as i'm pumping the gas i just kind of get lost in thought I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, but I'm just, you know, strolling down memory lane in my mind, and I'm just remembering our own wedding. You know, I'm getting, and kind of getting sentimental, and I'm thinking about when I saw Cana, you know, come down the aisle for the first time, and how beautiful she looked. And I was thinking about trying not to cry, because I didn't want my groomsmen to make fun of, uh, fun of me, right there in front of everybody. I remembered my grandfather doing the ceremony. I remembered the rain that came on our reception. And as I'm lost in thought, Cana asked me to go inside and buy some Cokes, which I'm never going to say no to. So I go inside and buy a couple Cokes. And as I'm walking back to the car, I'm thinking, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell Cana how much I really love her and appreciate her. And I'm thinking about how far we've come since the day we got married. It seems like we barely knew each other. So as I get in the car, I'm planning to make this really sappy, emotional speech, and I'm thinking it's really going to score me some points. She's really going to like this. And I'm opening my mouth to speak as I'm driving off, and before anything can come out of my mouth, there's a loud bang. And the truck kind of jerks forward, and I'm thinking, oh, no. What, has my engine blown up? What's going on now? Have you ever wondered what would happen if you left the gas station and forgot to take the gas pump out of your gas tank. If you are wondering, I'm happy to tell you I can at least answer that question for you today. The people at the gas station are prepared for people who are a little less than competent when they're at the gas station. And there's a safety valve on the end of that hose. When you drive off, there's no danger, there's no extra damage. This is just going to pop off and make a really loud sound, and everybody's going to look and be concerned for about two seconds, and then laugh hysterically and point. (laughs) My next question is, as you walk into the gas station, what do you say to the attendant? And the answer, of course, is uh, nothing, because he's uh, already laughing at you, and he knows what you've done. But I share that story, and you might be surprised that I have literally never told a single person about that until last night, and neither has my wife, Cana, to her great credit, But I tell that story this morning as, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, as a reminder that I hope we all take a little bit of time today to stop and maybe, yes, be a little bit sappy and think about the relationships that we are blessed to have, whether those are romantic or whether it's with our friends or our family, Uh, but maybe not so much so that you're breaking gas pumps all over the city. (laughs) I'm very appreciative to our elders for laying out to us the beginnings of a five-year plan, 
of things they would like us to be focusing on in the years to come, areas of growth that they see that we should be improving in. And in the spirit of Valentine's Day, I thought it would be appropriate to do a study based on one of these goals that they have given us. See, Valentine's Day has grown. It's not just a a celebration of romantic relationships. It's grown really in the last about 100 years into a celebration and family. And you don't look any further than a small elementary school classroom to see that, right? I'm sure you can remember going to school and packing whatever your favorite candy was and writing your friends' names on it so you could show them that you appreciate them. Parents now will give gifts. You might have done that this morning, or you might be planning on this afternoon giving your child something small or a bag of candy. So we celebrate all kinds of relationships. And I'm very appreciative to the elders for bringing relationships to our mind in this five-year plan. Let's see if we can get this clicker to work today. You guys might have to help me back there. There's probably a power button on this thing, isn't there? There we go. Okay. If you noticed in the bulletin last week, this is part of the directive that we've been given. It's the third of our four points of focus. The goal here is to foster deeper relationships within our University Church of Christ family. Each looking out beyond our regular connections to see new converts, new members, or visitors to really get to know one another. And I appreciate that vision of the elders so very much, and I think we should all be taking these points of emphasis seriously, and especially this one. Because I imagine a lot of you have felt the tension that comes with being a part of a very large group of people. Now, thanks to the hard work of our wonderful secretary, Sharon Morton, she spent some time counting by hand the people who are a part of our community, and that number right now, glory be to God, is up to 674. That's a lot of people. That's 674 names, 674 birthdays, anniversaries, ball games, prayer requests, health concerns. That's a lot to keep track of, and I know it can feel intimidating. And actually, pretty recently, if you were to ask the question, how many relationships is it possible for me to keep healthy at one time? Very recently, there's a psychologist, his name is Robin Dunbar, that's the name of his number. He's done a lot of research, and he's come up with this. He says, you can feasibly maintain up to 150 actual relationships at a time. Now, this is not acquaintances. He says you can have 150 pretty close friends all at once. And you can think of it in computer terms like a hard drive. Or if you're not savvy with computers, we can think of it like a a bucket of water or a jug of water or something. You've got enough room for 150. And when you want to add more, you've got to either delete space to make room on the hard drive or pour out water to make room for more water to go in to the can. And he says you can keep 150 people close to you. That means, yes, you can keep track of what's going on in their lives. You can, keep, you can be very involved with these people. So on the one hand, I think we have a great challenge. If psychology is telling us, hey, you can keep 150 at a time, but you've got 673 others that we know and that we all feel a sense of obligation, not in the sense of feeling like we have to, even though we don't want to, but we feel a real responsibility to be in these people's lives. Well, the good news is this number expands. He says you can have up to 500 kind of in-between friends and acquaintances, but he says you can get all the way out to 1,500 people 
This is on average. There might be some of you here who are, can do way beyond that, and some of us here who can do way less, but the average, we're going to meet around the middle at about 1,500 faces and names that you can keep together. So the good news is, it is well within our grasp to know every face and every name that's a part of our University Church of Christ community. But we do have a big challenge, I think, of making deeper relationships. And as we look to this challenge of how can we make these relationships deeper, well then, yes, I think we we do have a challenge laid out before us, but I do think it's possible. It is possible to have deeper relationships with everyone that's a part of our University Church of Christ family. And that certainly includes those who are in our own immediate families. And I think if we're going to do this, we need at least three things just to get started. The first of which is a common focus. Have you ever noticed that relationships don't really tend to last if they're not based on something bigger than just the relationship itself? Rewind back to, or if you're in the middle of it now, you can think about maybe your recent history. Think about middle school or high school. Did you ever know somebody who wanted to be in a relationship just for the sake of being in a relationship? You know, maybe they didn't really like their, quote, boyfriend or girlfriend very much, but they loved the idea of having a boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, they loved the idea of having somebody buy them a gift on Valentine's Day, of maybe, you know, give them a little treat or or whatever it was. It's based more on just the idea of I would rather have a boyfriend or girlfriend and not necessarily this particular person. It's based on simply the relationship itself. What usually happens... They don't usually last very long. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Four Loves, about this. He says, we need a common focus in order for our relationships to have a foundation upon which we can actually build something meaningful. And he says, this is precisely why those people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. You see, if we can find a common focus, if we can find a common purpose, that inherently unites us in significant ways. And it leads us to being able to have a deep relationship with anybody who shares that same focus. Now, that Christians, I think, is pretty obvious, and we could summarize it in a number of ways. But if you look in 1 John chapter 1, you can see a dramatic way in which we all have the potential for deep relationships with one another. Let's look in 1 John 1, starting in verse 7. Actually, let's read verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So let's notice here in verse 6. He's saying, if we say we have fellowship with Christ in the darkness, we cannot have fellowship with Christ. And earlier, in the introduction of this book, he will say, we want you to have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with God. So he's already making a a connection here about having fellowship with God equals having fellowship with the people who also have fellowship with God. And when you get here, in verse 6, he says, if you say you have fellowship with Christ while you walk in darkness, you lie. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, and you might expect to see the word him. 
Because he's just got finished saying, if you say you have fellowship with Christ and you're in darkness, you're lying. But if you're walking in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with him. Might be what you expect to see, but notice what he says. We have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from our sins. If we want to make our relationships deeper with the people in our church family, we start by walking in the light. We start by deepening our relationship first with God. And when we share a deep focus with those who also have a deep focus on walking in the light, then we are immediate, we're already off of the top, united in a very significant and deep way. It's not just something official, like I like the same sports team, or I like the same types of food, or I'm in the same life stage as you are. It's, we have something so much more profound for us to be focusing on together, and I think that unites us in ways that are extremely uncommon, especially in today's society. Isn't it interesting that the focuses that we have in life largely determine who our closest friends are? Think about those relationships that you have right now. Who would you put in that 150? Or if you can remember back to the days of MySpace, your top eight. There's a very small percentage of us that get that joke this morning. Who are those closest relationships with? Don't you share the same common focuses and goals? If you are super into sports, are your closest friends also super into sports? If you play a sport, if you're on a team, who are your closest friends? Probably many of those people that are on the team. We could go on with the list, but isn't it interesting that whatever your main focus might be, or if you've got a handful of really significant focuses in your life, odds are that is going to determine, it's going to set the circle around who gets to be in that 150, or who gets to have space on that hard drive. Now we know from Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus has said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We know he says in verse 21 that no one can serve two masters. For you either love the one and despise the other, you'll be devoted to the one and you will hate the other. No one can serve God and material, or I guess a more informal translation will be, stuff. And that stuff just doesn't include possessions, right? It includes any kind of earthly possession. That could be respect from others, as we learned from the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees valued that above everything else. It could be anything, any other focus that is not 100% dialed in on making God the key focus in our lives is something, yes, that will pull us away from our relationship with God, But as a side effect of that, it will absolutely pull you away from the people who are sitting in this room today. If we want to have deeper relationships with one another, I don't think we start with, well, I'm going to make a checklist of, I need to do this, 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 I need to be, you know, I need to smile more, I need to do this, I need to start off with a joke, I need all these other things. Those things aren't bad, and it's good to work, I guess, on our people skills to make deeper relationships But all of that is going to be extremely shallow and it's not going to last if we do not first make our key focus in life walking in the light as he is in the light. 
And if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We share a deep purpose and bond. And when we do that, we get a second element here. We are given a common identity. That common focus that we have, when that leads us to Christ, we then share a common identity. And we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We find out that the the things that used to signify who we are, or in our own minds, the ways that we identified ourselves before we came to Christ, those main areas of focus that we had in life, that we maybe I define myself as I'm a huge sports guy, I'm a huge uh, tech guy, I'm a huge literature guy, I'm into these uh, different things in my life, and that's what makes up who I am. When we come, Or maybe that's wrapped up in your nationality, maybe that's wrapped up in your financial state, this maybe it's wrapped up in a lot of things. You might not be necessarily open to admitting that you identify yourself mostly as this, 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 and this. When we come to Christ, things change. And we read that in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's start reading in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So not only do we have a common purpose, Paul is telling the Corinthians here, you actually have a common identity. You now all identify primarily in the same way. You're no longer identified as Jews or Greeks, which is a massive distinction at the time. And you can see more of this in Colossians chapter 3. You see more of this in Ephesians chapter 2. You see more of this all throughout the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, he says the things that used to signify us, when we come to Christ, we can now have a level of unity that is extremely uncommon. Yes, because we have the same focus, but it's more than that. We have the same identity in Christ. So new relationships in Christ are 100% possible with the people who are a part of this community that you just don't really see much in common with. You don't really talk to them very much because they don't look like you look. Maybe they don't dress the way that you like to dress. They don't like the same things you like. They're not into the same movies. They're not into the same music. They're not into the same sports. They're just weird because they don't like the things that we like. New relationships, deeper relationships with everyone in the community, can only be possible when we are truly convicted that we share the same identity with everyone in the community. And it's not just that these relationships are possible, and it's, you know, you can do it, and you should. They're actually prerequisite. If we keep reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll go to about the middle of verse 24. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're a part of the body of Christ, so if one member suffers then up to 150 can suffer together. No. All members suffer together. 
if one, if one rejoices, then all rejoice together. We are to have the same care for one another, primarily because we recognize that, yes, we have the same identity in Christ. It's, it's not based on the externals that we see. It doesn't lead us to siphoning off into groups of shared interest that don't share much time or interaction with the other groups of shared interest. We are immediately united. We have a great potential for deep relationships because we share a common focus and because we share a common identity. But practically speaking, that's really hard, isn't it? I mean, we've already talked about the challenge with the numbers here. That's really hard. How, how can we feasibly try to keep ourselves together? Well, luckily, Paul tells us how right here in 1 Corinthians. He tells them they should be united. They, they're already divided, and you see that from the very beginning of 1 Corinthians. They're divided for a host of reasons. When you get here, he gives them the point of force behind how they can unite. At the end of chapter 12, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. I'll show you the best way to stay united, to have deep relationships, to have the same care for one another. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What holds us together with our common focus and inside of our common identity as members of the body of Christ, what holds us together is an uncommon, common love. It's a type of love that, quite frankly, to a lot of people, does not make any sense. It's a type of love that endures when our affections fail. It's a type of love that endures when, quite frankly, we don't feel like enduring. Well, why not? Well, because love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and endures all things. Love holds us together. The short answer is because it holds us together when our affections fail. The long answer is right here in 1 Corinthians 13. If we want deeper relationships with one another, we look first to making a deeper relationship with God. That leads us to our common identity together. And that identity is only held together with one another if we take this more excellent way. If we take this more excellent route. And it doesn't start with gimmicks of get-to-know-you gimmicks, and again, those aren't bad things, it starts with deepening our capacity to love. Now, how on earth do we deepen our capacity to love one another? How on earth do we make sure that we are more patient and more kind, or we're, we're creating more space? You know, if we can be this patient right get to where we have this much more patience, how can we get down deeper into these areas so that we can love one another more deeply, so that we can draw people into the body of Christ, so that we can all glorify 
Him, that focus that we have of walking in the light, to glorify Him, to have fellowship with Him and with one another, how can we possibly deepen these attitudes? We read it just a moment ago. 1 John chapter 4. Let's start in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast, beyond all measure, that He should send His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. So why should I gain from His reward? I can't give an answer. But this I know with all of my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How deep is the Father's love for us? We have sang about it this morning. Brother David mentioned it this morning as we reflected upon the cross. How deep is the Father's love for us? But how deep is your love for us? How deep is your love for the people of God? How deep is my love for the people of God? If we know God, we know love. If you want to deepen your relationships, if you want to deepen your capacity to love others, deepen your relationship with God. You see, our ability to love one another is always limited by our understanding of the gospel. If we don't understand the kind of love that God has for us, Scripture tells us you don't really get love in the first place, nor do you really get God in the first place. If we don't know the gospel, then you can't love others. We love others only as much as we are convicted of the love of Christ. So how deep? Is your love for us? Is it deep enough to go out of your way? Is it deep enough to have a conversation with somebody that you don't think you have anything in common with? Is it deep enough to be patient with somebody instead of being irritable or resentful? Is it deep enough to be patient with somebody when they do you wrong or when they fail you? Is it deep enough to be kind, to be humble rather than arrogant? When we understand that Christ loves us, we can love others. And actually in 1 John, several times throughout 1 John, you actually can see it through all three of these letters that are coupled together. It's not so much that hate 
goes against the command of God, although he does say that very plainly in chapter 3. It's not just so much that, that hate is the problem, but it's the absence of love. Show love to each other. And I think we all recognize that, yes, hating is bad. I don't hate anybody in here, but when we fail to show the same love, we find ourselves with the same end result that John says comes from hate. When I understand that Christ is patient with me, I can be patient with you. When I am irritated, when I am inconvenienced, and when we all fail. Not because of my own attitude, not because of my own disposition, but because of what I have learned in Christ. Because Christ was kind to me, we can be kind to one another. When others might not notice us, when others might simply not think to take the time to greet us, when we understand that Christ was humble, we too can be humble. Even so, there's one of me and 674 of us. So where do we start? It's pretty simple. I think we start with one. That's one person to meet. One invitation to lunch. One invitation to opening your home for dinner. Going to one ball game. Saying one prayer. Going to one recital. Praying with one person. Inviting one person to study the scriptures with you. Baptizing one person. Loving. Just one. I wonder who your one will be. And if you haven't yet accepted Christ this morning, then you might be the one you need to start with. And his invitation is open. This deep love that we have spoken so much about today, that we have sung about together, it's available for you. And you really don't have any good reason not to accept it this morning. And if you have not accepted it to this point, we beg you not to wait any longer. We beg you to accept Christ this morning. If you need to be restored to the body, the invitation is open for you as well. Let's all start with one as we sing together. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood.